What's up, everyone? It's Thursday, August 2nd, 2018. This is Rafael Garcia back for episode 94. I believe that's what we on of the MMA Ratings Podcast. As always, I want to say thank you for taking some time to listen to our content. Thank you for checking us out tonight because it's a late night show as we're doing now going forward. But as always, thank you guys for listening to what we have to say either live when we're on or checking us out on YouTube after the fact. As always, feel free to subscribe and share our content and give the thumbs up button a quick click as well to support our content. We thank everybody who's listening to our show and continuing to um, help push us along. Uh, Schwann will be joining in, I believe, at some point. I have not heard from him yet, but he'll probably be joining on at some point, as he usually does. He's probably out, as always, being super dad, as I like to call him, doing something for his daughters. But if he steps in, great. If he doesn't, no problem. I can definitely carry the show for a few minutes, at least, before I fuck something up and burn all this down. But this week, we will be talking about... UFC on Fox 220, or excuse me, UFC 227, which is this weekend, where TJ Dillashaw and Demetrius Johnson are both defending their titles. And I'm also going to be giving a look back to UFC on Fox 30 from last weekend, which was a great card, um, but not a lot of people watched it, or not enough people watched it. And we're going to be talking about those numbers as well, too. But um, I was looking through this week's content and I really didn't see a whole lot of news worth coverage. I'm not talking about the White House trip. Nope, not not talking about that. I didn't see a lot of coverage, a lot of big news stories that made me kind of want to jump off the page. Um, I know they're working on the Israel Adesanya Derek Brunson fight, but that has not been officially announced yet. They're looking at that for November. Um, Bellator did a, has been doing a lot of work signing a lot of guys to contracts. They also got a new television deal too as well, so that's something worth going out and uh, doing some research on. But I didn't sit down and do a lot of research on what news is being uh, floated out there from this week. Didn't have the time to, but I'm sure that there's a lot going on. Uh, it's, it's interesting because this weekend we have a UFC pay-per-view, a numbered pay-per-view event with two great, I mean, good, I'm looking forward to seeing both matches, uh, both fights on the card, but it's been very quiet. Mum's been the word leading up to this weekend's event, and I was talking, actually talking to some people this week, asking them what do they expect the results to be, and it seems like everybody across the board is saying that this show will come in under, uh, 200 pay-per-view buys, 200k in pay-per-view buys, and I'm finding a hard time refuting that, because if you look at what DJ and TJ have both done as individual uh, main events, neither one, I think one of them has headlined an event that has brought in more than 200 buys. I think TJ did one that was 215. TJ has never been a main event other than that opportunity. I think that that was when he fought Hinn and Brow um, last minute. But DJ has had three opportunities, and all three of them have been uh, very low on the ratings or pay-per-view buys uh, outcome. So we're now sitting in a situation 
where there's two champions, both men who are struggling to carry a pay-per-view event on their own, and both of these individuals are in the main and co-main event slots for this weekend. So what does that do for this event? Uh, and UFC really hasn't done a whole lot of promotion for this. I haven't seen, I haven't seen a lot. Um, I usually see sponsored posts on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter in reference to their upcoming fights. I haven't seen any of that. I haven't seen any YouTube ads that have been playing. I haven't seen anything really. So we should really come we should really go into this weekend's event thinking that it's not going to bring in 200 uh 200k in pay-per-view buys that's an unfortunate um way to look at it but i just don't think it's going to be that great of a showcase for either one of either of these four men who are in the two title fights but even still that does not mean that we're not going to be in for some great action. I'm interested in seeing what the outcome from both of these fights are because we have two rematches on our hands. For the main event, it's Dillashaw and Garbrandt fighting for the bantamweight title. And this is a rematch from UFC 217 where Dillashaw got the win in the second round of that fight, stopping uh, Garbrandt via TKO, giving him his first professional loss and this is a this fight is intriguing to me from a stylistic standpoint um the storyline you know tj left team alpha male okay you know that storyline is what it is um it's kind of old news now at this point in time to me this is a fight that's more about the two best bantamweight uh, uh athletes in the world fighting in the octagon and i'm wondering what this fight is going to look like is it going to look more like the first round from their bout or the second round uh we remember the first round where cody landed a stiff overhand shot the same shot that dropped tj in that training video the same exact punch he landed that shot dropped tj at the start at the end of round one everybody was um up and screaming and cheering about that just to get um, dropped and finished in the second round. He took a nasty head kick and then uh, got finished off two strikes. So it was it was definitely some um, interesting action there because now we have five more scheduled rounds uh, of this and, and I'm really intrigued to see their footwork because both men have great footwork in the cage. I like TJ's ability to land diverse combos. I think that that's something that he uses very well. It's actually how he, he set up using, uh, set up that head kick that started the finish of Garbrandt in round two in their first fight because if you remember, he was ending all of his combinations with a leg kick or throwing in some type of leg strike uh, at the end of his combinations in the first fight, which opened up his ability to fake high and come, oh, excuse me, fake low and come high with that head kick that, that rattled uh, Garbrandt. You've seen a lot of pictures of that, of him stiffening up Garbrandt with that that head kick. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting for me to watch and see how TJ uses his combinations and what he lands and what angles he cuts to. Because yes, people talk about how his, his movement 
is very similar to Dominic Cruz and it is, but it isn't. And I, I people just aesthetically, it may look similar and awkward, but it's not, it's really not the same. And we've seen Garbrandt take Dominic Cruz's uh, footwork and kind of break that down and in a way that no one else was able to even TJ struggled to do. So it'd be interesting to see if TJ's footwork plays a big part in this uh, fight here because he uses it in so many different ways. Obviously, he uses it for strikes as well, but we've also seen him use it to mix in wrestling and score takedowns when needed. So it'll be it'll be intriguing to see how that comes into play. But with Garbrandt, man, you always got to talk about his power. Dude has the ability to rattle people. We've seen it time and time again. He dropped, as I mentioned, he tried he dropped DJ or TJ in their first fight and had him hurt badly because if you remember when um when tj got up i mean he looked like he wanted to fall over so we all know what that was like um and we've we've seen him we've seen him mess guys up for an extended period of time so it'll be interesting to see what his power looks like, especially after the surgery because of his back uh, issues that he's been suffering from for such an extended period of time. So with all those things kind of taken into account, I'm not going to say that this is a totally different fight, but it's a more intriguing one. It's something that I would definitely want to see from start to finish. Uh, I'm leaning more towards uh, Dillashaw in this fight. I think that he has, I think he is an undervalued champion within the UFC. And what I mean by that is if we remember when Cody won, he was put into a position to be like a big time draw. He, they, the way the UFC was talking about him made it seem like they felt like they found a guy who could help elevate the lighter weights to a, another level of recognition and uh, appreciation from the fan base. I'm not certain if that was correct, especially after we see uh, all these issues with Garbrandt's past tweets, and I will be talking about that whether if people don't want to hear about it or not, I'll be talking about that in a second. But now we see that TJ has an opportunity here to put some space between him and Garbrandt in a way where it's like, hey, I beat you twice uh, as long as I have the title. You don't have any space to be in title contention. So it'll be interesting to see if TJ comes out of this, what his stat and stature is as a UFC champion, because I think he's really undervalued there. Uh, he doesn't have the strongest resume when you look at his wins and losses. Actually, somebody was talking about today how his title defenses came against Hen and Brown and Joe Soto, both of which I think were due to Dominic Cruz being injured or late replacements, one being Dominic Cruz, the other being Hen and Brown, where he couldn't make weight. So he doesn't have the greatest um, standing when it comes to being a champion in his title defenses, but I think that that's something that can change. And, and bantamweight is a bantamweight is, the, is a division that's not very deep. Um, if TJ wins, you know you got to look at who's next. Is it Dominic Cruz? I think he gets the nod, or is it Rafael uh, Asuncao? Um, Dillashaw is 
made it clear that he plans on challenging Demetrius Johnson for his flyweight title if he wins. And we'll be talking about that as well because I think that that's the next logical step for the UFC if both men win. And with that in mind, I want to kind of take that and segue into the co-main event because we have Mighty Mouse defending his title for a second time against Henry Suhudo. And that is a rematch from, I think, 2016, where Suhudo came into that fight. Um, I'm not going to say overhyped. I think he was rushed into that fight you know he was still relatively new within the ufc he was still kind of putting things together with his wrestling and he stepped in there with the guy who i mean we recognize now as the pound for pound great pound for pound best in the world and he was dismantled um we saw that dj he yes he did take dj down early in the fight but dj got right back up he actually scored a takedown of his own and he eviscerated uh with uh, those knees to the body from the clinch. So we saw a guy who was a much better fighter win a fight as opposed to a struggling to deal with a wrestler who was a better grappler. Fast forward two years later, and you got to say, well, how is this fight really different? Uh, I think I'm interested in seeing how Henry has improved because he's looked a lot better, especially a lot better on the feet in his last few bouts. He's shown a willing to a willingness to lean on his striking and his wrestling is just something that's kind of like in his back pocket. And we're talking about an Olympic champion who has a wealth of wrestling experience, putting that in his back pocket and say, Hey, I'll use that if I need to, because right now I am, I am growing and developing enough as a striker to put fear in people's hearts. Um, will that put fear in DJ's hearts? We're going to see. I'm interested in seeing what the speed advantage looked like because DJ looked a lot faster in their first fight. He's widely considered to be one of the fastest men in the octagon. So I'm wondering what that's going to look like. Is uh, Suhudo going to be able to deal with DJ's movement and his ability to cut so quickly and, and change angles? What will it look like in the clinch? We clearly saw in the first fight that that was Johnson's uh, space there. He was able to control the clinch and do what he wanted to do to Henry. That's an area where DJ consistently outworks his opponents. And I love how he strikes on exit. Every time he he's exiting out the clinch, he's striking in some sort of effective manner. It's not just a strike, just for strikes business. He's very good at cutting out at an angle off of a off off of the clinch and throwing some type of elbow. That's something that he, he does very well. So I'm interested in seeing how that game comes into play because he he knows that he can control uh, Henry Cejudo in the clinch. He's proven that already once. So I think that that is something that is uh, worth watching as well. And then you know he's looking to defend his title for a 12th time. I mean he's already broken a record. So he's looking to uh, extend that. I mean, this guy if could effectively clean out the flyweight division two times at this point in time. If you've been watching the interviews that have been going on this week leading into UFC uh, 227, he's been talking about things as if he's kind of bored. I mean, he is even... I don't, I don't know if you guys follow wrestling, but there's a professional wrestler named Austin Aries who his gimmick is 
known as the belt collector, where he travels to various promotions collecting belts, basically defeating champions in various promotions and taking their title from him, from them. Um, we, the DJ is talking like, hey, you know, he's about willing to come in and do the, uh, the same thing. So let's see what that looks like, because, I mean, of course, he's not going to be able to do it. Of course, he's not going to be able to do it, but he uh, the man the, the man's the greatest fighter, pound for pound, in the world right now. I thoroughly believe that. So, what's next for him? Do you put him in there with Sergio Pettis if he wins? Do you put him in there? Do you ring back Kyoji Kyoji Horiguchi, who's tearing up uh, the Japanese MMA scene right now, looking fantastic out there? Do you bring him back and, and give him another title shot? I mean, hell, I, I, I kind of want to see that fight more than I want to see this weekend's uh, rematch, just because I think Horiguchi is so is is such an interesting fighter. But that's neither here nor there because I don't believe that that's ever going to happen. And also today, uh, Johnson was talking about moving up to bantamweight to challenge for that uh, that that title as well. So being or being more open to a fight against the winner of Dillashaw versus Garbrandt, depending on, well, not depending upon who comes out on top, but being more interested in that fight there. In my opinion, that fight needs to come down to a Jerry Maguire type situation. Where he's screaming out, show me the money. The reason being because DJ is the longest reigning champion. And he's one of the more active champions as well. He's not someone who rests on his laurels. He's out there defending the title against whoever's around for him to, to defend the title against. So if it's almost as it, it's it's frustrating because it's clear, like the UFC does not want him. UFC does not want him as a champion. I always, every time I see the UFC post uh, about DJ, I always kind of like to look through the comments because it, the the fan reaction to seeing his face is it's it's. Disturbing and hilarious to me at the same time. People call him all types of names. They claim he's ducking TJ. He's running from challenger to challenger, trying to do nothing else but defend his title. I mean, hell, he's defended that belt 11 times now. Um, and he won it in 2012, six years ago. We may never see another run like this in mixed martial arts. But, uh, Shawan, how you doing, sir? Are you there? Yeah, not bad, man. How you doing? Can't hear you, my man. Uh, hold on a second. All right, Shawan, I am going to eject you. Boom. Hello? Boom, because I could not hear you. Let's see something, folks. But we're looking at a guy as a champion who very well may be the best fighter of all time. And fight fans just do not appreciate having him. 
Um, it's almost kind of sad. Okay, um, one second. Give me a second, because Schwann is going to join us here. All right, so anyway, I'm interested in seeing what happens if DJ comes out as champion and if he, if we do finally get some sort of super fight between he and whoever is the bantamweight uh, champion in, in the future. Juan, um, you there? Juan, there? Hello? Nope, still can't hear anything, sir. Hello? Juan. Can you hear me now? Hello? So while he works on that, so I definitely think that this is probably one of the more uh, intriguing. Uh, and let's let's take a step back because sorry for about that, folks. But if you've been watching Sahudo and his development and training camp leading into this weekend's fight, he's talking about things differently. He's been in there working. He's been in there um, training hard, and it just seems like he is. Getting exponentially better, which I think is important in mixed martial arts. Uh, so uh, Henry is not young in any shape or form. He's not, but he's still young, or he's young comparatively speaking to the MMA game, which is key because there's always going to be there's there's that room for growth. That I don't think we always kind of that I don't think a lot of fighters really take advantage of. We see him developing his game in a way as if he. I don't. I don't. And I. Hmm. It's interesting. I just thought about something. I hope he's not necessarily training to defeat specifically defeat Demetrius, but training to improve period because i think that's going to be the bigger uh bastion of improvement for his career and anyone's career at that point in time not training to necessarily beat a specific guy but training to get better across the board Schwan, you there yeah can you hear me can you hear me can't hear anything man hello so i'm not sure what's going on with uh Schwan today but his sound seems to be a little bit off. I'm going to let him work on that while we just kind of continue going on with the uh, show here. So we have two two fights, two title fights at the top of UFC 227. But in reality, I took some time today to look at the rest of the card, and I'm like, what really stands out to me? Because nothing is – and I hate to say it like that, and I hate to kind of disrespect the rest of the guys on – this card, but nothing Hello? else jumps out at all. You have uh, Sahudo and Johnson in the co-main event, Dillashaw and Garbrandt at the top. Then you have Cup Swanson and uh, Renato Carnerio in the in a flyweight bout, which is important. That, that that's a big fight there. Um, Renato's been looking good. He dropped a fight to 
Brian Ortega, which is his only professional loss. But other than that, he's been doing very well in UFC with wins over Calvin Cater and Jeremy Stevens, which I think both of those are very important. But he's facing off against Cub Swanson, who's coming off the loss to Frankie Edgar. And Cub is always a tough out at um, any point in time. So it would be interesting to see what he looks like in this fight uh, on Saturday and to see what's next for these two guys. Let me see where they're ranked right now. Schwan, can you hear me? Are you there? Hello? Can you hear me? Still can't hear you, dude. Um, so anyway, let's see where these two guys are ranked. I'm curious. This featherweight is in an interesting place, especially if Max Holloway is out longer than it is expected. So Cub is ranked at five, and wow, Carnero is not Carnero uh, is not ranked at all. Oh wait, he's number. Is that him at number ten? That might be him at number ten. If they're going by his nickname, yeah, they're going by his nickname. So he's ranked at number ten there. So let's see what this 29-year-old guy uh, competitor looks like. He's facing a, a veteran in, in Swanson, a guy who's seen just about everything. Um, but as we've seen lately, and you know, it's a lot of old guard, slowly but surely, cutting out, cutting down the, um, or it's a lot of the young guard cutting down the old guard bit by bit. Uh, Swanson's 34 years old, um, coming up on 35 this year. Coming off of two straight losses, one to Edgar and one to Ortega, but he was he won four straight before that. He was uh, and he was doing so in pretty dominating fashion. Um, uh, and he even he had that great fight against Doho Choi from a few uh, years ago. So we're gonna see what this really kind of looks like and um, who remains a viable featherweight contender at this point in time because that division there um, is kind of wide open. If Holloway remains uh, out longer than expected, you have to put Ortega in a fight to become the next champion. So they have to put Ortega in the fight to be um, the next champion, but at the same time, it's like, who do you put him in there with? Do they put him in there with Frankie? Well, he does beat Frankie. Do you put him in there with Jervis Stevens? He just lost to Jose Aldo, who Max Holloway has beaten twice. Um, do you put him? You can't put him in there with Moicano. He's already beaten him. He's already beaten Cup Swanson. So this this division is kind of like shaking itself out in a very odd way, and we'll see what happens in the future because a lot of it is dependent upon Holloway's health and what he can and can't do and on what timetable. But other than that, there's not much that stands out to me from UFC 227 this weekend. Uh, it's I'm looking forward to the main and, and, and co-main events, but beyond that, uh, we'll have to kind of see what ha wow, what happens. So Next, I want to talk about UFC on Fox 30. I want to take a look back to Saturday's 
event where Dustin Poirier defeated Eddie Alvarez via TKO. Was it TKO in the second? Let me see what it was. Yeah, TKO in the second. And this card had everything. We're going to talk about why that matters in a moment. But let's start from the top and go through with Poirier and Eddie Alvarez and what this fight meant because it meant so much for both men. First, you have Poirier. This is probably his biggest win in his career. He's 24 and 5, I think 29 years old. And I feel like people forget that. I, when I look at Poirier, I, I see, I understand why a lot of people doubted him per se. And they wondered what this young fighter would become. I remember the commentary, even I was kind of skeptical of him after he lost to Chan Sung Jung back in 2012, um, where he was uh, submitted there. But I mean, this isn't the same guy who struggled against Cub Swanson in 2013. This isn't the same guy who fought um, Conor McGregor at UFC 170. I can't remember if he took that fight on short notice or not. This isn't the same guy that was knocked out by Conor in, that, uh, in the first round of that fight. I mean, it's just not. Moving up to lightweight has done a lot for his career. And I not just what eliminating the weight cut has done for him. But we've seen Poirier grow as a fighter from a IQ standpoint as well. If you go back to last week's show, Shawan and I were talking about the way uh, Dustin tends to throw shit out the window when the fight gets exciting, when the fight gets fast-paced, and he just goes in there and just kind of goes balls to the wall, which creates an opportunity for his opponent to uh, gain ground on him. If you go back to the first fight that he had with Eddie, uh, what was that, 2016, the one that ended in, 2017, excuse me, the one that ended in a no contest, he had Eddie hurt early, but what he did was he got more and more reckless. He got overly aggressive, which allowed Eddie to hurt him back. And it led to that whole situation where he was up against the cage and he um, and the illegal knee came from there. And this fight, I kind of thought was going to go in a similar fashion. Um, I thought that Poirier was going to hurt Alvarez, but I was concerned about what happened, what would happen after that part. Because we've seen Alvarez, he's like, I mean, he's like, I hate to use the, the typical um, analogy of a caged animal, but when you get Alvarez hurt, somehow he, uh, I'm trying to think of a comic book character, he's like Wolverine or something like that. He just comes back harder and harder and harder. He just comes back harder and harder. And in this situation, in this fight here, Alvarez looked good at the start. Um, but when Poirier hurt him in the second round, you saw Poirier use a controlled aggression, a, a controlled, diverse striking uh, showcase at the end there to just overwhelm 
Alvarez. You knew the, it was over the minute he grabs that clinch and he lands those two knees to Alvarez's head. And at that point in time, the former Bellator champion is just basically like a sitting duck. And you see him try to stay on his feet as Poirier is just basically pot-shotting him, landing shot after shot until he goes down. And it's finished by Mark Goddard. There's people who are... I mean, it's, it's interesting seeing the response to Mark Goddard's stand-up because Alvarez had Poirier pushed up against the cage um, and he threw a 12-6 to 6 elbow on Poirier's shoulder. Mark Goddard stopped the fight, stood them up, warned Alvarez at that point, which is all the right things to do because remember, 12-6 to 6 elbows are illegal, period. Big period at the end of that statement. 12 to, 12 to 6 our elbows are illegal. It can land on the tip of your pinky. It can land on your knee. It can land anywhere. If you're down and your opponent is on top of you and they throw a 12 to 6 elbow, that is uh, not allowed. It, it occurred here. Um, Mark Henry is taking all the blame for this. Uh, if you listen to him on Ariel's show on Monday, he took all the blame for this, saying that he was trying to tell Eddie to throw an elbow, but his motion to get Eddie's attention was a 12 to 6 uh, motion. And Eddie being, you know, in the fight in the moment through a 12 to 6 elbow and got himself um, put out, out of that position. So it's just an unfortunate unfortunate circumstance uh, from a, a series of events that led to that situation there. Um, I don't believe Eddie is a dirty fighter in any way, shape, or form, but it, it's just an unfortunate situation that led to him being stand up, stood up, um, taken out of position, and eventually finished for Poirier. For both men, this is a very important fight here. Poirier has basically said that he believes he should fight next for the title. We all know that that's not going to happen. Conor McGregor is already talking about a potential fight in Vegas towards the end of this year. We know it's going to be against uh, Kabi Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov is talking about he wants at least at least two million, uh, at least what Nate Diaz made when he fought uh, Conor. I think Nate made two point two million or something like that. The UFC would be idiotic not to give him that money. They need to back up the Brinks truck, take it over to, over over to Russia, and give him whatever is needed to get him into the cage. Because that's legit the last big fight they have to make. And I'm even talking about Cormier and, and Brock Lesnar and Cormier Jones 3. This is the last big fight that they have right now, Connor versus uh, Habib, because this is the, I mean, this is the fight that, this, that, that, that the MMA world, that the fight game needs right now. Unfortunately, that means Poirier has to be uh, um, stepped over. So the question now becomes, if you're Poirier, do you wait? Because let's say this fight occurs in 2018. We get Khabib and we get uh, Conor McGregor fighting in 2018. Well, if Conor, Conor wins, we have no idea. It's already been, it's been two years since he stepped in to the, the octagon. So we know it's not going to be anytime soon for him to get back in there and fight, especially if he gets a big payday. With Habib, you don't know if, what injuries are going to look like for him. You don't know what his schedule may may be like for returning for returning to the cage. So I personally do not think that Poirier is going to 
sit on the shelf that whole time? I think the answer is Tony Ferguson. Because remember, Ferguson was in the title picture. Injuries kept him out of it. And we don't know what's going to happen when he returns. We, we, I've seen some of his videos of him training, playing around on Instagram. And it looks like his movement is back. But we just don't know what he's going to look like at that time. So I do believe a fight against Poirier could happen. And that would be important for both men because it gives them an opportunity to solidify themselves as the number one uh, contender with Conor McGregor and Javier Nurmagomedov fighting sometime this year. If they, if the UFC was smart, they should try to book this fight on that same card. Pay these, and and it has it has value as a main event on like a UFC on Fox event. Um, but we've seen that UFC on Fox isn't generating the numbers that it once were. This isn't a opportunity for them to just throw a some uh, an important fight some big names on a fox show and expect the ratings to pour in this isn't 2015 this isn't 2014. so with that in mind i think proper booking would be to put poirier and ferguson on a fight card with khabib and uh connor later on this year if it's november great if it's december even better get all these men on the same card that way if someone gets hurt you have two guys to, to select from who were preparing for a fight to get them in there all four of these men any combination of the four is a big fight that people will want to see a big fight that can be promoted so get these men all on the same card and and let's let's get this to happen On the other hand, we have um, Alvarez, and Alvarez took a calculated risk in betting on himself because that was his last fight in his contract, and Now he is without a fight, fight contract, and he is kind of, and he's out there hanging in the wind. So it's interesting to me what will happen next, because let's see. I don't let's see how old Eddie is. I'm not. A, Eddie's Eddie's also turning. He's 34. He'll be 35 in January. He's in the, I would say, the latter stages of his career. This man has been in some wars. 29 and 6. He's been fighting since 2003. So 15 years at least in this fight game. And he's fought, I mean, this dude's fought some of the best. Some of the best of the best. I mean, Shinya Aoki. He fought um, Nick Thompson all the way back then. He's fought Yo, uh, Joaquin Hansen. Um, Toby Yamada. I can't believe I just said that. Roger Huerta. Pat Curran. We remember those fights he had against Michael Chandler, um, Rafael dos Santos, Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez. I mean, he is the underground king. And some people are talking about him going back to Bellator and just running the circuit there again, doing doing a rubber match against uh, Michael Chandler. I would love to watch that fight. I would do that all day, every day. Michael Chandler is about to be a free agent too, so that means that they have to work extra hard to lock him down as well. But could you, 
if if you told me right now that Bellator booked uh, uh, a fight card with Chandler and Alvarez as the main event, damn it, I'm watching. Like that's the type of fight right there that I want to see in um, their card because I, I think that those two guys will, will kind of still tear it up once again. But even, even even still, I think that Alvarez, even if he doesn't come back to the UFC. Um, from a financial standpoint, I think that he does have some value that will kick off, that will work with some organization. He can go over to Ryzen. I mean, he had he has a big following in Japan. You know, that's kind of where he got uh, some of his big fights. He fought um, Kikuno over there in Dream. He fought um, Tatsuki Kawajiri over there in Dream. Like so, like there's been there. There, there's been some great fights he's had over there in Japan, so he can go back over there and fight for for Ryzen as well. He has options. He doesn't have to come back to the UFC for a lighter um, for a lighter. Excuse me. He 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 doesn't have to come back to the UFC. For a lesser payday, we know that that coming off of a loss out of your last um, contract to fight, it doesn't put you in the best position to negotiate with that organization. So there's definitely that, and we'll see what that kind of looks like for him. But I don't think he comes back to UFC. I think he goes. I would not be surprised if he goes back to Bellator and reaches out and takes the most money that is available to him. So. That's what I think is next for both of those fighters. Then let's talk about um, Jose Aldo and Jeremy Stevens. Uh, Aldo finishing Stevens with a nasty body shot in the first round to get his um, get his win back and get his mojo back. To be honest, uh, the elation he showed shown on his face when he won that fight was it was man it was hard to not get emotional seeing that um the man has been through some shit like aldo's been through some shit i believe he's the greatest featherweight of all time he cleaned out that featherweight division until he ran into um ran into conor mcgregor yes he's had the two losses to max uh, max holloway since but aldo i mean this guy has done things in this sport that were impressive for lack of a better term do not let conor mcgregor's defeat of him in 2015 give you a revisionist history of jose aldo's career this is the man that wrecked chad mendez twice defeated frankie yeager twice um wrecked ricardo lamas blew up kenny florian he had a bad uh, fifth round against Mark Hominick, but he still won that. This is the man who wrecked Uriah Faber, wrecked Mike Mike Brown, Manny Gamburian. I mean, when he defeated Cub Swanson with that double knee in how many seconds was that? Eight seconds? I'll never forget that highlight reel. This guy has done it all, and... I mean, he deserves your respect as the greatest featherweight uh, champion of all time. Conor McGregor never defended that title that he won, so that's that's not even a com- that's not even a conversation. Yes, Conor stopped him in 13 seconds, and that was the beginning of his downfall. Uh, as and that's, that was the beginning of removing him as a relevant 
uh, not even relevant name, but as like the like the biggest biggest draw that he was. It just did all that for him. But seeing him get this win over Stevens and that relief that came over him was important. It was it was a hell of a moment. He's only 31 years old. He's still young, but we know that he's been through a lot when it comes to the fight game. He was hurt. Stevens had him. Stevens had him hurt at one point in time. But man, that body shot was just sickening, and and it it, it you rarely see Stevens on the side of that type of finish. Let me see how many times has Stevens been finished in his career. I mean, he's only been uh, TK uh, KO twice, and this is a man that has this man has forty three professional fights. And he's only been um, stopped via knockout twice. He's only been stopped actually five times, two by knockout, three by submission. The other knockout came to Eve Edwards back at UFC on Fox Five six years ago. So yeah, like like there's there's really no you can't take anything away. From Jeremy Stevens, he hasn't been stopped. That was his first time being stopped since. So I mean, that you know how big of a moment that was for Aldo there. So I just definitely wanted to tip my hat off to that and kind of point that out because that was huge. Then we had Yoana Yonjacek defeating Yonjacek defeating Tisha Torres via unanimous decision. And I'm upset that Schwan couldn't be on the show to talk about this because he had Torres winning this fight. He um, definitely pointed to her as being a good matchup for uh, Yuana no longer champion champion and you saw Yuana be able to uh, Tisha had some good good moments but she couldn't sustain anything against Yuana and you see her kind of get herself back into um, the winning column now again I still don't think she's anywhere she's nowhere closer to the title picture than uh, Jose Aldo because she's also lost twice to the current champion and people are saying that they're um, sick of her uh, saying that she's the queen of the Charlotte division even though she's lost to, to Rose twice. The second fight against Rose was a lot closer than people think. I mean she could have easily won the fight if she would have won that fifth round there. I, I had her I think I had it 2-2 going into the fifth. That was a very close fight there in every way shape or form. Does she fight Rose again in the future? I don't think it's anywhere near anytime soon. Um and this strawberry division is not this this strawberry division is not all it's not it's it's not a I'm trying to think of the word to use it's a deep group i mean you have jessica and josh who i think is a number one contender claudia gadelia another name that could be that could easily be champion carolina kawaskowitz she could be champion carlo esparza is a former champion she's ranked at fifth i mean this group is is definitely dangerous and we're going to see what it looks like um, in the next few months. I'm definitely very intrigued in uh, this division. I think it's one of the more deep divisions in the uh, UFC, regardless of what people say about it. And these women continuously go out there and put on great fights. And this was another example of such with Ioana, uh Yonjacek getting her hand raised. So let's see what else happened on UFC on Fox 30, because I don't remember too much else of the card. Um, yeah, nothing else really stood out to me, but I want to talk about the ratings that came in 
from this showcase here because this even though this joint had three great fights at the top of the card three this fight has three has more important fights than the pay-per-view that's going on this weekend but this joint was the lowest rated UFC on Fox card in a seven-year deal that they've been working together the lowest rated I think it came in with 1.6 million viewers and there was nothing else really going on from a sports standpoint on Saturday this fight this card should have been bigger than it was for lack of a better term um yeah there's nothing to really even like I don't even know how you really you really start when you talk about this it is definitely points to oversaturation uh Danny Segura on MMA beat today was calling it the boy who calls wolf because you have the UFC telling you every fight card this is a great card every fight card this is a great card but we all know that every fight card is not a great card we sat through UFC Hamburg where all those fights went to decision and you wanted to throw yourself out the window as um as they kept trying guys out there we've sat through every fight card that's getting longer and longer it seems like hopefully this this espn deal is going to help with that supposedly it will but we've sat through this and people are i guess fed up is the right word to use they're no longer sitting around and taking the ufc up on their offer to watch hours upon hour of um mixed martial arts week in and week out i mean we have Let's look at their schedule, their recent schedule for UFC. Let's look at their recent schedule and see when's the last time they've taken an extended break. So this is what we have so far. We have this weekend's card on the 4th, and then the next fight will be UFC event will be two weeks later on the 25th. Then there's two weeks between that and one on the 8th of September then the 8th then there's three straight weeks the 8th the 15th the 22nd it'll be interesting to see what those events look like then you have uh, another one week break a two week break actually two week break before you have another event in in October you have two events in October through four in November so that gives you in November, you have a fight card every weekend. Five in November. One, two, three, four, five. You have a fight card every weekend in November, guys. Ha, that's funny. They do every Saturday and then the last Friday. So you literally have one, one UFC event for one, two, three, four, five straight week. Five straight weeks. Actually. I'm wrong, folks. Look at this is getting out of hand. In November, you have in a five-week time span, you have oh man, look at this. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and this is in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So like let's let's look at this guys from November first through December so from November third through December twenty ninth. There's one, then two, three, there's eight weeks. Okay, that's eight weeks right there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
nine weeks technically. Nine weekends there. You have a fight card on November 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24th, 30th, December 1st, December 8th, December 15th, and December 29th. That's the last nine weeks of the year. There's a there's only one weekend that doesn't have a UFC event. That's going to be bonkers. And this is the type of shit that comes back to you and makes you realize that hey, the UFC is struggling to get these shows adequately 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 promoted and adequately spaced out to get people to sit down and watch this stuff. I'm not like no one's going to sit down and watch all of it. They have fight cards in Milwaukee, China, um, the UFC Fight Night. There's just so much shit going on that no one's going to sit down and watch all of that. So when you see a great fight event um, like UFC on Fox 30 go down and have such bad rankings, ratings, you can only attribute that to oversaturation, lack of proper spacing and, and, and promotion, and lack of star power. If Conor McGregor was on the card, yes, it would have done millions upon millions of views. We know that. Ronda Rousey, we know that. Brock Lesnar, we, we know that. But they can't put those guys on these free events. So it's going to create situations like this where the ratings just aren't going to be there. Hopefully moving them over to ESPN will help and it will help when it comes to promotion and giving them access to more sports fans than that those that are on the Fox platform, but this is a, this is it's not a new, it's not alarming, it's a trend we've been seeing for the last 2 years, but it's still kind of perplexing when we see it. So that's all I wanted to say about UFC on Fox 30 and UFC 227 this weekend. Um, as always, you can follow me at rgarcia underscore sports where I'm talking professional wrestling, MMA, football, uh, just about everything in between, um, social justice and sports. I'm definitely talking about that a lot as well. So if you don't like that, hey, go fuck yourself because um, it needs to be. Uh, we need to talk about that in uh, the intersection between sports and uh, society. Um, it's coming up more and more. We see, well, it's coming up more and more. I'm just going to say that. Uh, at MMA Ratings Net is where you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter because that's where we post a lot of our work from myself, Shawan Humes, Adam Martin, and Michael Ford. And as always, again, um, go to MMARatings.net where you can rate the fights. You can tell us what you're um, looking forward to each weekend when fights are announced. Tell us how you're looking forward to the fights. And after the fights go are over, tell us what you thought. Um, we always want to hear what you guys have to say. And as always, thank you guys for listening to this edition of the show. Please feel free to like and subscribe to our content and have a great week. We will be back next Thursday. Shawan and I will be here to talk all things MMA. Have a great weekend, everybody.